Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make sure that you check out Walters' self-pour beer wool. Included on tap is Baby Shark IPA, Sunny Little Thing, Grapefruit Nectar, and more. Walk on over to Walters for Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Tip at 9 p.m. this Monday night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And on the mound, it's 35-year-old Paolo Espino. He broke into the big leagues as a brewer. He faces them for the second time in his career as a starter. His fourth game overall. It's his first start on the mound in 2022. The breaking ball is in there. Strike three call. Locked him up with a slider. Back in over the inside corner at 76 miles an hour. And Paolo Espino has his first strikeout, retiring the first two Brewers here in the top of the first inning. The right-handers into the wind. Edwards pitch swung on and drilled the deep left center field. This ball is gone. Up into the tables. Above the Brew House red seats, Andrew McCutcheon. And the Brewers doing what they do best, hit home runs. Their second of the day. It's now Milwaukee 4 and Washington 1. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, June 13th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. A three-game sweep, what would have been the Nats' first series sweep of the season, was not to be on Sunday afternoon. A 4-1 loss to the Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park, so the Nats ended up taking two of the three games in the series. Uh, Nats this season now are 23 and 39. And the comeback down to earth game for the Nats offense ended up happening on Sunday. We thought that it might happen on Saturday. Did not. The Nats were outstanding offensively over the first two games of this series. But Sunday ended up being a different story. Uh, Just the one run, just eight hits, a double and seven singles. Nats did have four walks, but 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. Mark, I guess it's good that the comeback down to earth game did not happen on Saturday. But unfortunately, the coming back down to earth did take place on Sunday. Yeah, you knew it was going to happen eventually, unfortunately. The shame is they got a good pitching performance despite the piecemeal pitching plan for the day. And you'd like to take advantage of that and come away with a win and a series sweep. It wasn't meant to be. They had their chances early on against Mr. Jason Alexander. But as it turned out, the Brewer starter was master of his domain on this day. He was. He was. And uh, you can't say that uh, the Nats offense was queen of the castle. So it was. Uh, it kind of did not go in the, the Nats direction that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've seen a lot of these games with the Nats offense this season. And this was just another one of those performances. I mean, there just was not a lot happening in this game. Just two Nats had multi-hit games. Uh, Cesar Hernandez 
had a couple of singles. Luis Garcia had a couple of singles. These guys actually ended up having a nice series uh, with what went down. But, you know, like what we saw, the great production from Juan Soto and Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell over the first three games of the series, those three guys on Sunday combined uh, for just two hits, each of which was a single. And, you know, you see this a lot of times, I feel like, with bad teams. When the team doesn't pitch well, the team hits well. When the team pitches well, the team doesn't hit well. You know, that idea of like complementary baseball, which that's more of a football thing, complementary football. But And of course, there's no such thing as complementary baseball. But it just it feels like when you're good, you do the two things well at the same time often. And when you're bad, maybe one goes well, but the other one doesn't. You know, I feel like we have had these games where you can kind of tell early on, they just don't have it offensively. And it's not like, well, they're sluggish for four or five innings and then they all of a sudden turn it on and figure it out. That just has not been the case. It's kind of been this way all year long. They either have it or they don't and there's no in between. Although, look, they had chances early on. Through six innings, you have eight hits for the Nats. Problem, talk about this all weekend, seven singles and one double, so no power. And that came back to haunt them. And then the first three innings, 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position. You had two bases loaded situations that come out of that with only one run, and that was on a sacrifice fly. So, you know, arguably they're one or two clutch hits away from actually making a big difference in this game. And it felt like Friday and Saturday, they had a bunch of those in their pocket. And on Sunday, they just did not have any one of them. All right. I would like to raise this issue. Uh, Juan Soto on Sunday afternoon had a bunt single. First pitch, bunted up the third baseline, and he's going to get himself a base hit. Uh, yeah, Juan Soto bunted on Sunday afternoon. Um, and it was a good bunt, so I want to give him credit for this. You know, if it's possible to like both love and despise something at the same time, that's how it kind of felt like about this bunt single. It was a well-executed bunt. He got a hit on the bunt, but it still was a bunt for arguably the best hitter on the planet. Juan Soto in the bottom of the first, a one-out first pitch bunt single to the third base side of the infield. Uh, like I said, perfectly executed, got himself a hit, but it was a bunt. And I think as most people know by now, when a great batter bunts, takes his power out of the equation, the opposing team wins no matter what happens. I thought it was really interesting during Davey Martinez's postgame press conference with you guys. Davey unsolicited said he did not tell Juan Soto to bunt. I did not have Soto bunt, by the way. <laughs> Soto. Uh, yeah. You got it down, yeah. But what was your reaction? Um, I, I walked down the steps. <laughs> and, you know, Davey was kind of kidding around about it, and he was laughing about it. He wasn't, like, super serious, and he wasn't, like, scolding Soto. But you could tell Davey wasn't a huge fan of Juan Soto doing this, and I don't blame Davey one bit. You know, we have seen Soto do this previously this season, try to bunt, and it's like, why would you ever do that? Why do you think he did that on Sunday? Well, all right. There's a lot here to this. Let me first just provide a little backstory to that exchange with Davey. Prior to the game, I was asking him about Victor Robles and how much he's been bunting. And Davey actually have a really interesting and thorough answer to all of that about the thought process behind it, the lack of execution at times, the fact that he's really going for hits and not for sacrifices. So that was a whole other thing. And then, of course, because Soto bunted in the game, and it caught everyone off guard. I think Davey wanted to immediately, like he looked right at me and he said, by the way, I didn't have that bunt on for Soto. He did that on his own. Now, it was also interesting in that he said, Davey's initial reaction, he was not happy with it. But as he thought more about it, he said, I was, in the end, I was kind of semi-okay with it. And the thought process was this. You have, first of all, they're giving it to you. The infield has shifted. So if you just get it down to the left side, you're going to get it, no problem. So number one, that. Number two, 
until today, the guys hitting right behind him, Nelson Cruz, Josh Bell, have been on fire. And so that was Soto kind of trusting the big bats behind him to come through with runners in scoring position. So that was the thought process. That doesn't make it right. And I believe that in the bigger picture, David does not want Juan Soto doing that. Certainly not against an inexperienced right-hander. If you're going up against a tough lefty, maybe a different story. Against an inexperienced righty, probably not in that situation, especially you already have one out. Maybe with nobody out, you might think about it, you know, a little better chance of still having a big inning. But I think Davey appreciates the idea that Juan is at least thinking out game situations. He's not just going up there and swinging out of his shoelaces all the time. He is thinking about the situation. The problem is sometimes you're overthinking it and not just thinking about the fact that, hey, I'm Juan Soto and he's Jason Alexander. And if I get a pitch to hit, I need to hit it really hard. Do you think that any of this is just Juan Soto, for lack of a better word, being bored? That sometimes in sports, you have someone who's so good and so talented that you kind of get bored and you try to say, hmm, I wonder if I can do this. And especially on this team in this season, you know, given the monotony of the 162 game regular season, I wonder if any of something like that is just him saying, "Eh, let me see if I can bunt, you know, I, I can sort of rationalize doing it. Why the heck not? You know, like I wonder if the Nats were a really good team this season. Would he have done something like that on Sunday afternoon? And maybe the answer is yes. OK, I mean, that's it's possible. But I just wonder, like when you're as gifted as he is, you're almost like, let me try this and just see what happens, because I feel like I can do this. I get what you're saying, but I think if he was on fire right now, it's a different story, but he's not. He's been searching for it and he's had a good couple of days. It seems like he's starting to get back to being himself again. So that to me would be the last thing you do to throw yourself out and do something out of your comfort zone. Like go up there. I'm feeling good at the plate. We've been, you know, kind of things have been going well the last couple of days. I'm going to swing and try to get a big hit here. So I don't think in this case, that's what you're referring to. Sure. Could that ever happen? Maybe. I don't think that's really where he is right now from a mental standpoint, both because of the kind of season that he's had. And you're in the first inning and you have a chance to give your team a lead. He is a team player. I think if anything, it might be too much of a humility on his part and trusting Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell as opposed to saying, hey, I'm Juan Soto. Like I'm better than them. Like those are great hitters, but I'm better than them. I can take care of this myself. I don't need to just set the table for Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell. Yeah, it just, it was a weird thing to see. And the fact that it worked doesn't make it right. You know, like the fact that it worked almost uh, ticks you off a little more because it might incentivize him to do it again. And you're like, don't do that again, man. Because again, the Brewers win. I promise you, Craig Council loved that Juan Soto did that because a bunt can only be a single. And Juan Soto is a threat every time he gets up there to do a lot more than just a single. The reason that teams shift big hitters like that is because they're saying, hey, if you want to just bunt it over here, that's fine. We would rather have you do that than take a full swing and potentially hit the ball out of the park or a double or whatever else. So yeah, I agree. Other than a few extreme circumstances, to give in to that and just bunt is essentially giving the defense what they want. 100%. So we'll see if it's a lesson learned for Juan Soto, but when you're as good as he is, you can butt like that and make it look pretty. And it sure did look pretty. I mean, I will give him credit for that. I hope Victor was watching him <laughs> to see how you do it. Victor was jealous because Victor on Saturday had an atrocious bunt. It was, I think it was a, right. f- a first pitch bunt pop out, if I remember correctly. Like Exactly. And, and that's what I was asking Davey about pregame today to kind of you know, follow up on all that. And so, yeah, you certainly hope that Victor Robles can see, hey, here's how you do it. If you want to do it, there are situations that call for it, but you better get it down. And he did not on Saturday. 
Well, uh, a few Nats who did do well offensively in this game, at least in terms of, uh, you know, getting an extra base hit or getting multiple hits. So K-Bet Ruiz was back as the Nats starting catcher on Sunday afternoon of Riley Adams having been the starting catcher on Saturday. Uh, Ruiz won for three with a double and a walk. He in the bottom of the second had a one-out double to the left center field gap. Member uh, Ruiz had a big game on Friday night, three for five solo homer and two singles. So the two starts for Ruiz in this series end up going quite well. Luis Garcia on Sunday afternoon had another multi-hit game, uh, two for four with a couple of singles. Now, he did get thrown out trying to steal second base for a second consecutive game, but Luis Garcia in this series ended up going seven for 13 with seven singles. I know it's seven singles, but like the offense right now is there. He's getting on base a ton. We know the defense isn't great. You know, maybe you could quibble with some of the base running here right now, but man, he is getting a lot of hits in this latest go around at the major league level. And I'll tell you what, he should have had a third hit. In the eighth inning, he almost beat out a grounder to second that could have kept the inning alive. Very close play, called out. They challenged it. They were trying to go three for three on challenges, which I don't know if I've ever seen in the Davey Martinez era. They didn't get it. And watching the replay, I was struck by this. And I think the Nats feel the same way too and want to work with Luis on this. He kind of stutter steps into first base. Like he wasn't on the right stride to try to just hit the front of the bag. And just that little tiny thing might have been the difference between him being safe and being out. And even if you go back to that stolen base temp where he was thrown out, it did look like he was almost slowing down a little awkward as he got to the end and went to slide in to the base. These are little things, but they can make a big difference. And I think they want to work with him on some of that stuff because it could maximize even more what you get from him. Yeah, good series for him. Obviously, offensively, he's doing what you want him to do, but there's more there he could do if he refines some things. And this is what they're talking about with all the finer points of the game. They know he's got tons of talent. If they can just get him to harness it all and start doing some of these little things right on the bases, in the field, they may have themselves a really good player. Yeah. And I think with this team this season, it's okay to refine and learn these things at the major league level. Like he's doing well enough to where he should be in the majors right now. Like he's performing. So look at the number of hits he has in the number of games. And then look at the number of hits Alcides Escobar had in the number of games. Okay. And like, it's not even close. The production you're getting from Luis Garcia here, he's batting 372, 378 on base, uh, 488 slugging percentage. We on Sunday afternoon for a third straight game had Lane Thomas as an ads leadoff batter. And he went one for five. Uh, He had a single up the middle on a full count to begin the bottom of the third. And we also had Cesar Hernandez once again batting in the two spot. You know, Cesar Hernandez had a good series, six for 14 with six singles. So good to see that. But ultimately, the offense, not nearly good enough uh, in this game on Sunday off having been, like I said, tremendous over the first two games of this series. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It feels like everything is going up these days, including home prices. And so there's no better time to have the look of your home go up and the value of your home go up with new windows from Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. Take advantage of this offer. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. It's getting hot outside. Weather impacts your windows. Hot days can cause a caulk to crack. 
seal failures, and condensation, Window Nation only uses top-of-the-line materials, including mold spray and quad max sealant. Window Nation is the best. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask for the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pitching was good, you know, today just didn't, um, didn't come up with that big hit, you know, twice bases loaded, uh, only scored one run. Um, we're just going to get that big, big hit today. So it was really interesting to me how Davey Martinez navigated the Nats starting pitching on Sunday afternoon. We knew our guy, Paolo Espino, was pitching. Didn't really know necessarily how long. He hasn't been stretched out a ton. So the expectation of him going, say, you know, five or six innings probably was unrealistic. But what this ended up being was what you call a tandem start. And the Nats like never do stuff like this. They never do bullpen games or tandem starts or openers. We actually got one of those things on Sunday, a tandem start where you start a reliever or a starter. He's only set to go, say, three innings, maybe four innings, and then you bring in the next guy. So it ended up being Paolo Espino and then Evan Lee. So it's funny. We thought Evan Lee would start the game. Paolo Espino got the surprise start per the announcement from Davey during his postgame press conference on Saturday. But essentially, each guy ended up being the starting pitcher in this game. And the overall result was actually pretty good, all things considered. Now, Paolo did the better of the two, one run in three and two-thirds innings. Evan Lee, two runs in two and a third innings. But if you add that up, that is the technical definition of a quality start, three runs in six innings. That's pretty good, given the unique nature of this game for the Nats from a starting pitching standpoint. They gave them a chance to win, and that's all you can ask for in that situation. Three runs in six innings, absolutely perfectly fine. Now, the reason they did this was not necessarily because they had some bold idea. It was out of necessity. They knew they needed a fill-in starter here. They knew that Espino was not stretched out as much as they would like. He felt like it was a better matchup for Paolo, that Brewers lineup, than it would have been to have Lee start the game. So they went with Paolo first, let him go as far as he could go, and then brought in Lee. I think it was a calculated move also to bring in Lee towards the bottom of the lineup before he then faced the top. And the results, yes, Paolo was better than Lee. Really, it was just two batters for Lee in the fifth inning. It's a two-out single by Christian Yelich and then a follow-up home run by Willie Adamas in which, to me, I thought Lee was a little over-consumed with Yelich on first base. There were four pickoff attempts during the course of that at bat. 
he and Davey downplayed that, said, look, we knew he was a threat to run. Uh, we were going to try to hold him on. I just didn't execute a pitch to Adamas. You know, maybe so. I kind of wonder for a kid in that spot with two outs, go get the batter. Don't worry so much about the base runner. But that said, like that was really his only mistake. I was surprised. Evan Lee was pretty down on himself after this one. Made it sound like he wasn't as sharp as he wanted to be. He wasn't real happy with the results. And I'm looking at this and saying, two batters and two pretty accomplished big league hitters and otherwise solid, retired the last four that he faced. I thought all things considered, Evan Lee did fine in this situation. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, like I said, it's a, it's a unique special circumstance. So it's hard to like pass too much judgment on it. You know, he also had Adamas down 0-2, which made that home run disappointing. We, you know, could have potentially put him away. Paolo in this game, the only real damage he uh, gave up, gave up a run in the top of the third on two doubles, gave up a one-out double to Tyrone Taylor on a ball that bounced past Lane Thomas. This was a tricky play, but he tried to make a sliding forward catch. The ball bounced past him. You know, you do wonder, would Victor Robles have done that? Probably not. And then Paolo gave up a two-out RBI double to Willie Adamas to left field for a one nothing Brewers lead. You know, Paolo in this game, one run, three and two-thirds innings. His ERA for the season went up from 203 to 208, which tells you how good Paolo has been this season. Do you think Paolo could have gone longer than the three and two thirds? Like, I mean, that did seem kind of conservative to take him out at that point. So he said in the moment, he felt like he probably could have gone a little bit farther. Now he had not thrown, I think more than 48 pitches since early April and had not thrown more than maybe 52 or something like that at all this season. So he was getting to that point where you probably don't want to extend him too much farther. And, and what he said was, that while he felt okay coming out of the game, the real test would be the, the next day. And if he did go a little further and all of a sudden he goes to 70 pitches, he might be pretty sore the following day. Maybe that affects when he's available again to pitch after this. Now, he's experienced. He knows what he's doing. He's done this kind of thing before. He feels like if he gets another chance to start in five days, he'll be good to increase that number 15, 20 more pitches and you know, essentially build up to now maybe where he could be a true starter going 90 to 100. It does occur to me that we were focused on, okay, what are they going to do on Sunday? Is one of them going to pitch? And then, well, they got this double header coming up. Well, you know what? This sets them up for it. I don't know for sure if this is what they're going to do, but they both pitch on Sunday. Now you go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with the other four guys, and you now have two potential starters for the double header on Friday. So perhaps we see them both start on Friday against the Phillies. Yeah, it would make the most sense, you know. I mean, it's it's not like they're oozing with options, okay? So unless you're going to call up Cade Cavalli and after his last start, doesn't feel like that's happening, you know, this week anyway. The Nats have uh, this series coming up against Atlanta Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night at Nationals Park. It's Josiah Gray, Steven Strasburg, Eric Fetty, then Patrick Corbin will start game one against Philadelphia on Thursday. And then, like you said, doubleheader on Friday and then the Ryan Zimmerman uh, number 11 retirement game on Saturday. So, Big stretch of games here coming up uh, for the Nats against uh, some teams that have been playing really well lately in the Braves and the Phillies. Oh, one more thing on Lee. So he took that comebacker. The 2-1. Swinging a shot off the leg of Lee. He picks it up in front of the mound. He fires to first in time for the out. Here comes Davey Martinez and trainer Paul Lassard. Is that why he got pulled from the game or he could have stayed in the game off getting struck by the ball? So he did stay in initially. It got him right below the right knee. And he showed us afterwards, he's got kind of a welt down there. He said he felt fine in the moment. He went back to the dugout. And as you sit there for a little while, as so often happens, it stiffens up. It's getting pretty sore. I think he thinks he could have come back for more. And he probably, they would have considered bringing him back for more. If not for that, they decided let's just cut it off here and not take any chances, knowing that they're probably going to need him again in five days. 
to pitch. But like we said, you got your six innings out of the two of them. I don't think they were complaining too much about how that worked out. In a perfect world, yeah, he could have gone a little bit farther, but I don't think they were necessarily counting on that happening. Yeah, no need to uh, to push it. By the way, the Braves won again on Sunday afternoon, a 5-3 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates. It is 11 consecutive games for the Braves. If you've been following the National League East, sort of the inevitable question that you've probably asked is, when are the Braves going to get going here? Well, the Braves have gotten going here, and now the Nats are facing the Braves off an 11-game winning streak. You know, the Nats caught Milwaukee at a good time. The Brewers were really struggling. The losing streak ended up getting to eight before the Milwaukee win at the Nats on Sunday. You're catching the Braves at the exact opposite time. The Braves are steamrolling people right now. And then the Phillies after that, and they just finally lost a game for the first time in a long time as well. This is a tough, tough week coming up with no breaks and a doubleheader, and it's going to be pretty unrelenting. It's going to be hot and muggy, but hey, the Braves can't keep winning forever, right? Maybe they're due for a loss. No, and if the Nats' bats are starting to warm up with the weather warming up, then you know maybe we see the Nats end this winning streak here. I mean, who knows? You know, it's it's certainly not out of the question. On our last installment of the Nats Chat podcast, we mentioned that Cole Henry was pitching on Saturday night. He pitched after our taping of the most recent episode of the Nats Chat podcast. And, you know, it's so funny how things work out. So last weekend, you had those three encouraging outings at AAA for the Nats, right? Steven Strasburg, Kate Cavalli, Cole Henry. This weekend, you had two discouraging outings. And, you know, it's, it's one game for each guy. So we're not going crazy over this, but. Kate Cavalli struggled on Friday night, and Cole Henry ended up struggling on Saturday night, an 11-7 loss for AAA Rochester at the St. Paul Saints, four runs in three innings, gave up six hits, a homer, and five singles, issued one walk, recorded three strikeouts. You know, we're not overreacting. He did well in game one at AAA. He, he didn't do as well in game number two. But the timeline for Cole Henry, just to reset this, about two months at AAA, give or take, you think that's probably what Mike Rizzo was thinking? So I, I just look at it this way. He gave him two months at double A before he promoted him. Now, the numbers were great. He was completely overwhelming double A hitters. So they moved him up. The fact that they did it at that point after only two months said to me, hey, if he were to keep going like this and he has a lot of success, you probably want to give him at least two months at AAA. And then now you start considering it. So come August, maybe that's the time frame. But that's not set in stone. And if if Henry is struggling at all, or you know, as we saw last year, and early this year with Cavalli, AAA was a different animal for him. And so if he is struggling, they're not going to force that issue, make it happen. I feel like moving him up to AAA in June, as they did, the beginning of June, at least says to me that they ideally want Cole Henry pitching for them in the big leagues before the end of the season. You wouldn't think he's just going to finish out the year at AAA and never get the call up unless he just really struggles at that level. Yeah, you wouldn't think so. Cole Henry, by the way, is rated by MLB Pipeline as the Nats' number three prospect, number two pitching prospect. He is ahead of Jackson Rutledge. So Rutledge is the number four prospect. Henry's the number three. So just to give you an idea of like the extent to which the Cole Henry stock has soared over the course of this season. It's been exciting to see. And uh, the idea that we could see both Cavalli and Henry pitching for the Nats at the major league level before the end of this season is pretty cool. One more item from this game on Sunday. Carl Edwards Jr. is human. He gave up a run in the top of the ninth inning, uh, gave up a leadoff homer to Andrew McCutcheon, who I think after Freddie Freeman might be the ultimate Nats killer over the last few years. Andrew McCutcheon, whether he's playing for the Pirates or whoever else, you know, now with Milwaukee, it seems like he always hits against the Nats. So the scoreless inning streak of Carl Edwards Jr. comes to an end. It had been forever since Edwards had given up a run. 
Yeah, it was his first outing. He gave up three runs on May 10th and then had 13 consecutive scoreless outings after that. So he was due. It's fine. And he gave it up to, like you said, a guy who traditionally kills them. But wouldn't you know, I looked this up when we were in Milwaukee a couple of weeks ago. And I think McCutcheon homered off them because I wanted to see the same thing. Who are the all-time best hitters against the Nationals? Looked it up by OPS and I did minimum of 100 plate appearances all time against them. McCutcheon's on the list, but he's, at least as of a couple of weeks ago, was 14th on the list with a 989 OPS. Now, there was a stretch of several years with the Pirates and I think also when he was with the Phillies where he did, within one season, just torched him, completely torched him. The funny one was that Freddie Freeman, who we just think of as the all-time Nats killer, is like 32nd on the list in highest OPS. Again, we probably remember some distinctive moments and particular years where it felt like he hit 750 against them, but there was actually a stretch there, especially at the Nats peak when you have Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, everybody at their best when he didn't do as well against them. But here's the funniest thing. You're never going to get it, but who's number one all time in highest OPS against the Nationals, minimum 100 plate appearances? I will just tell you, it is a somebody who then went on to play for the Nationals. After the fact. Hmm. Who is it? It's Matt Adams. Really? 1.168 OPS in 32 games. I think most of them with the Cardinals, maybe a few with the Braves. 32 games, 11 homers, 30 RBIs, 356 batting average, and a 1168 OPS. Albert Pujols right behind him at 1167. Mark Teixeira, Miguel Cabrera. Those are kind of going back a ways with some of these guys. Pete Alonzo and then Bryce Harper. I was going to say Alonzo. Alonzo's the guy who really stands out these days because he seems to kill the Nats. And yeah, Harper, especially last year, Harper destroyed the Nats last season. So yeah, that does uh, that does make some sense. But yeah, I, I think what's funny with McCutcheon again is that you know he's become kind of a journeyman. He boun- he's bounced around now in recent years, and it doesn't seem to matter who he plays for. He just always seems to get the Nats to some degree. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Well, sadly, the run for Virginia Tech baseball is over. Uh, The Hokies lost to Oklahoma on Sunday afternoon in game three of the best of three NCAA Super Regional in Blacksburg. 11-2 was the final, so uh, the season ended with a whimper there for the Hokies, but still a spectacular season uh, for Virginia Tech. Certainly nothing to be ashamed of, and very cool to see the Hokies get to this point and to host a Super Regional as Virginia Tech ended up doing. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chatter, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we're going to leave you with something special here right now. So the Nats Chat Podcast is on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Another podcast on this network is a Milwaukee Brewers podcast, Cruising for a Bruising. And among those on the podcast is Andrew Snyder. And of course, with Milwaukee uh, playing the Nationals, this weekend, we had Andrew Snyder with us watching the Nats. And uh, so we're going to leave you with this uh, report from Andrew Snyder from the Cruising for a Bruising podcast. Hi, Nats Chat. Andrew Snyder from Cruising for a Bruising, Milwaukee Brewers podcast on the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast. Coming to you having just finished watching the final game of a three-game series between the Nationals and Brewers. The uh, Brewers salvaged the finale here 4-1. But after <laughs> after this series, I'll say something that you wouldn't anticipate a opposing fan to say about a 23 and 39 team. Glad they don't have to play the Nationals again this season because the Nationals are pesky. And I mean that as a compliment. A game one battering 11 to five by the Nats really came in with a great plan at the plate to swing early in counts against Aaron Ashby and not let him get to two strike counts where he could 
hit swings and misses with that devastating breaking ball. Lane Thomas living on base. Juan Soto, obviously, the uh, the guy you think about when you think about this Washington Nationals team as an opposing team. You think, all right, don't let Soto beat us, and we should be pretty good. But Nelson Cruz, Josh Bell, Kybert Ruiz proved that that's not always the case. Eric Fetty does a good job um, in limiting damage, five and two-thirds innings, only three earned runs allowed. And uh, that might not be his prettiest line of the season, but it gave the Nationals everything they wanted. 19 hits in that first game. Just never felt like uh, the Brewers had a chance once the Nationals retook the lead in the bottom of the third. An incredibly impressive performance it shows, even though this team has had some struggles. They don't have any quit in them, and that was impressive. Game two, Eric Lauer just didn't have it for the Brewers. Five innings, seven hits, eight runs. Again, uh, the Nats being aggressive at the plate. Lane Thomas this time getting on with two walks, even though he didn't get a hit. I felt like giving any pitcher that got Lane Thomas out a certificate of achievement because he was just always on the base path. Patrick Corbin wasn't his sharpest. The four runs allowed in six innings. But I guess uh, based on how he's been since that 2019 World Series winning season, you'll take it because... Uh, largely, he's been a disaster, but here he gave the Nats exactly what they needed to, uh, to get a win. Positives on the Brewers into things. The Christian Yelich at leadoff experiment looks like it's going to go well, but even with his three for five day, still couldn't get the job done because of uh, really just the Nationals coming out and scoring a bunch of runs early, a four spot in the third and a four spot in the fifth. It's really tough to come back from that. The Brewers had leads in, in both game one and game two of this series. And it didn't matter. The Nationals just found a way to come back and beat them. Thankfully, the Brewers' losing streak was ended on Sunday with a 4-1 win. Willie Adamas with three of the four RBI on the day for the Brewers, including a home run. I'm really interested to see how Espino for the Nationals progresses over the rest of the season. Three and two-thirds innings pitch. 2-0-8 ERA on the year. I know he's mostly worked out of the bullpen, so coming in with fresh eyes, seeing him. Uh, at a starting role for the first time, I thought it looked like he's got something to build off as well. Really just a, a series where I came out impressed with what the, the Nationals can do at their best. Obviously, 16 games back in the NL East as I record this, but maybe there's something to build on. Won't be in the playoffs this year, but you know what? You've made life hard against the Milwaukee Brewers. Three and three for each team on the season across six games, so... You know what? Uh, good luck to you the rest of the season. We'll be interested to hear your take on the Brewers in this series. And if you have a friend who's a Brewers fan or if you're ever finished consuming the latest Nats Chat episode and really just want to keep listening to talk about baseball, myself and my co-host Adam McGee, we have a great time talking about the Brewers and you know other teams across the league. Maybe we'll talk about the Nationals at some point if some national story hits the news, something like uh, Tony La Russa calling for an intentional walk for the Chicago White Sox in a 1-2 count. If anything crazy like that happens during a Nationals game, maybe we'll chat about the Nats as well. But thanks so much, and uh, you know, good luck the rest of the way. And with the rest of the rebuild, maybe in a few years we'll meet up in the playoffs. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.